This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com. Call to Adventure, hosted by Alexopoulos and John Duckworth, an exploratory conversation about facing the unknown, an opportunity to discuss those pivotal moments that illuminate new paths and reveal deeper purpose and meaning in our lives. Welcome to Call to Adventure, OM Radio 96.3. Uh, today we have with us Ben Towhill, um, born in England. Ben co-founded Silkstone Hospitality Group in 2008 and created renowned New York City eateries, the Fat Radish, Rush Meyers, the Lead Belly, and the East Pole. He co-authored the Fat Radish Food Diary published by Rizzoli and was voted by Forbes Magazine 30 Under 30 in 2014. He recently wrote a food-focused travel column for the New York Times documenting his cross-country bike ride called A Ride in the Country. Fortunately, for those who know him, he and his wife Kate chose another radical adventure and now call Charleston home. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. You know, you were born in Cornwall, England, uh, spent lots of time in France, uh, later uh, to New York, traveled quite extensively. Um, so one of our favorite questions is to ask our guest, how would you describe Charleston? And I loved your story. Um, perhaps you could share that with us. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think um, uh, Charleston, I think the question was, if Charleston w- was a person, how would I best describe yeah. him or her? And, um, you know, I, th- I was thinking about this, and I thought growing up that uh, I had this great friend who had these very eccentric parents who used to... Uh, had these wonderful Sunday lunch parties, and they their job was to um, was for the Royal Geographical Society, sending um, explorers all over the country, all over the world, in the sort of sixties, seventies, and eighties. So, I was fortunate enough to sort of grow up around this Sunday lunch table, and it would be filled with these wonderful older characters who had so many great stories and never shy of a few words and always had too much wine. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were very interested in us as young people and our ideas and our values and what we wanted to do and they wanted to share what they had learned and seen and encourage us to go and explore with kind of open minds and I always you know when I was thinking about this question I thought Charleston was quite like one of those men and women that I kind of grew up around the table they were wise and they had great stories and they were really interesting but they were also not shut off and sort of open to new ideas and change and encourage you to express your opinion, although it's probably... Yeah, <laughs> what a beautiful thing to be a part of. You know? Yeah, what a gift. Yeah. So I, I feel Charleston has, has those qualities. I mean, you know, I've, only, I've been here for a short period of time, but, but I feel that it's got that great balance of, of, of exciting new things and, and kind of setting the tone for for sort of moving forward in, in lots of different fields, but also it's got such a rich history and s- so many things that it values that, that it shares with people who arrive here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's great when we have so many interesting people continuing to arrive and, and uh, 
what a uh, what a potpourri we've got going on here in, in, in Charleston now, you know. Um, well, you know, one of the things that we also, uh, uh, of course, talk about is the calls to adventure, and and you have had quite a few, and it's been difficult to narrow them down to uh, the top three. But you so graciously, you know, replied with your information about three calls to adventure, and one of them started when you were really young uh, with uh, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, and um, can you tell us about that experience and when it started? And yeah, absolutely. The um, you know one of the things that that I was kind of obsessed with, which I which I sort of regret now, was was I played so much sport um, mm. when I was a kid. And um, what were you playing? I was playing sports that aren't played here, but I was playing cricket and rugby. Okay. And you know, all I wanted to do was play those at a top level. And um, I went on a weight gain program and. Um, and it was creatine as well. It was very new. And um, I was young. I was 15. And um, it sort of it affected my kidney and my liver. And basically, by the time I was 16, I kind of burnt out part of my, you know, those organs in my body. They just weren't working properly. You shut down. I did. And I shut down. And I was sleeping for, for sort of 20 hours a day for, um, for about a year. And, I, you know, with the national health system, um, you know, unless you tick a box, it's the most wonderful thing in the world having a national health system. But unless you tick a box with an illness that they can diagnose, mm. there's not a lot of sort of scope in that system. So um, I, with the help of a great friend, looked to sort of alternative um, medicines to get better, which was pretty radical in a kind of middle class English family. At 16? At, at Yeah. And... Um, so I decided to take this very alternative path, much to the dismay of kind of those around me um, who wanted to, to just have an answer that I had a virus, or I had something that they oh, could, yeah. could quantify. So I looked, there were some guys in the US doing some pretty amazing things. Um, and then it all really boiled down to food and diet. And uh, I did a lot of uh, yoga I got into, and I got into meditation. And, and, and nutrition. It, nutrition. And then we got into a pretty much a macrobiotic diet, which I just okay. took it away sugars um you know it was a mainly a vegetable plant-based diet with whole grains um much like anyone tells you when you get sick those are the things you should yeah. do which we should was do. this like the inspiration was had you read the china study at that point we ask about books and you mentioned that as an inspirational book was that something that was on your there was no i mean no. i was not into i mean until i got sick i was you know i was i think i was fairly ignorant um it's a, it's a, a hefty job, read job. at any age yeah yeah but i just hadn't <laughs> yeah. i didn't i'd never i mean i think from a from a, a, a school schooling standpoint i was a, a wonderful school i spoke you know a few languages i was you know I had access to so many things but not once did we talk about food and diet and how mm. what we eat affects us and i just thought when i was got sick and nutrition was a way of curing myself I suddenly had this aha moment that I just couldn't believe no one had ever spoken about this before and it was the one thing I needed to cure myself I yeah. could speak French but I didn't know what went into food or how to cook it um, and it was a very feminine thing which I thought and which I thought was a very odd thing as well that yeah we don't leave school with any skill sets of how to feed ourselves it's so curious though isn't it how moments of of genuine inspiration come from tragedy or trauma or you know great challenges i mean here you are in bed for 20 hours a day and and yet the seed for quite a few other amazing adventures in your life are born out of that moment right yeah this is this is true and that's uh, and I, that's the way I, i've always i think um 
you know, every cloud has a silver lining. And I think yeah. if you, you know, whenever you are feeling like that, that's, I am constantly reminded that my life definitely took a big change. I'm curious because obviously, and we'll get into this later in the conversation, it shaped your views on food and the importance mm. of food. And, and that became a passion and a part of your life and still is today. But at 16, you talked about sort of those around you that loved you and cared for you um, didn't really support the direction you were going in in terms of alternative medicine. What, what did that feel like at, at a young age to realize your health was in serious danger um, and to feel a bit alone in choosing the path out? Yeah. What did that feel like? Well, I, I, lost, I lost my dad when I was very young and, um, and uh, my mum, although she's a wonderful lady, uh, was a, he was an alcoholic and she continued to drink. Um, so I, we kind of had a mentality, fend for yourselves as, as kids. Um, so when this, when this came about um, and, and you don't get that, that sort of love and support that you so desperately want at a time um, when you're ill, um, you know, I, I just, I think you have to take things into your own hands. I have wonderful friends. I would... I was very lucky that that my um, I went to a great school. Um, I went to a boarding school. My my dad. It's so the one thing he left was that we had to go to these schools, um, and so I kind of had access to an amazing group of friends with 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 sort of successful parents who who kind of rallied behind me. I went to live with a few of them, um, and then I got back on my feet, and um, and then I was I was on my own at seventeen, and uh, wow. I was I was ready for that was when I got into food and and it's not uncommon in the UK that if you do a vocational occupational training at 17 you finish school at 16 and then 17 you do a 3 year L- looking back is that pretty clear that that was the time that planted the seeds both for sort of your fearler- fearlessness mm. and your adventurous spirit yeah i think i mean i i you know, it was definitely a sense, a great sense of freedom. You remember those things that you're 17, and you can drive at 17. I remember all those, getting, you know, your first paycheck and getting in your car and getting to see a girlfriend. And you were young, all your friends were still at school. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that that was, it was always, it was always in me, but, but um, doing that so young definitely gave me a, you know, some would say a head start. I thought it was a head start, but people... There's a sense <laughs> of self-sufficiency, though, that's born out of that that's really great, I would imagine. But, yeah. but I like this idea of, of, you know, I think about this in my own life sometimes, where if there's anything that's lacking at, at, at home, you can just create your own extended family. You know, mm-hmm. It seems like you've been able to do that. So you weren't entirely alone. You just filled some gaps with some other wonderful people. And Absolutely. I, I am so, I think, you know, I've been so lucky with, I've just met yeah. the most incredible friends or people who, who I've just been surrounded and been so lucky with how that's fallen into my life. So yeah. you two fine gentlemen are another example. Well, we'll talk about <laughs> energy, energy later, and I think it's a, it's it's in a magnetic, attractive force that, mm. that that does these things, and it's not chalked up to pure luck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> set set the stage. I want to break to a song, Frankie's Knuckles. Mm. Uh, oh yeah. Some house music from the eighties, <laughs> uh, originally from New York, right? Uh, yeah, in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Chicago. yeah. yeah. Um, present. Set this. Set the stage. What are you doing this time where this music is pivotal to your life? Well, the um, the UK like dance music scene, which, the electronic music, which is now massive and very mainstream here, was just is a thriving um, and always has been um, part of the UK music scene. And um, 
I listen to a lot still. But this song was kind of what kind of started all of that, and it was just being played a lot. It's been remixed a lot, and we used to go to these amazing parties, normally on farms and um, basically raves, and um, and this was one of those records that would come on, and it's just amazing. And and you play this to anyone who eighties, nineties, two thousands, you know, dance fans. This is a massive track. Nice. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs>
All right. So that was the uh, godfather of house music, Frankie Knuckles. And I can just imagine the partying going on at that moment. <laughs> well, we just learned that was one of Obama's favorite bands, right? Well, well, that's yeah. right. Chicago. They're both from Chicago. So that's nice. pretty cool. Um, so simultaneous to this being, you know, one of your favorite pieces, and this is happening at this age, um, somehow talk us about walking by uh, the kitchen of Raymond Blanc and, and, mm -hmm. and finding a job. Yep. So I was went back to school on um, to try and cram everything into a year because I'd lost a year, and um, I was halfway through that, and I'd never done so well academically because I've been in bed for a year. I had this massive like must catch up and I've missed mm. things. Um, so one evening I'm walking home, I had a job as making coffee in a cafe and it just said help wanted on the on the door of this, you know, one of the most famous chefs in the UK at the time, his brasserie. So it, I went in there and um, long story short, he, the restaurant was going bankrupt at the time. So he, he was a wonderful cook and he has this restaurant that's extremely uh, well known called Le Manoir Quatre Saisons. Um, which is still there today, but his brasseries were kind of run quite badly. Mm, so okay. he was there every single day, and I was kind of this apprentice, and I just got assigned to him. So I got basically taught to cook by now is you know, kind of undisputedly the best chef in England. Um, he's and his he, own godfather. He he uh, he, uh, he, uh, he uh, is incredible of, of cooking. He's incredible. Wow. And and he's a so I mean he was so old school, so French. We used to he used to drive me home, drive a hundred miles an hour, listen to classical music so oh, loudly, man. and. Um, Anyway, the restaurant, he, he, he didn't, he never took me off my hourly pay and I worked out that I was, <laughs> I was working so much because I was so excited by all of this, yeah. um, that it came a point where I managed to save so much money that he had offered me a job at the manor and I said, absolutely, I'd, I'd love to go and do this apprenticeship, but, but I, you know, I want to go to India before. And he couldn't understand how I, how could I go to India? I was the apprentice of the restaurant, but I was earning more than the head chef. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how could you that, afford to that, go to that, India? That's why the restaurant uh, was going bankrupt. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, man. You know, you take, uh, you go to India, uh, a small sidetrack adventure, mm -hmm. four months on a, on a motorcycle yep. across India. Getting, I actually looked up the map of India on the plane because I really had no idea wow. what... Um, and I flew to the wrong side, so I, then had to get <laughs> I flew into Chennai and had to get a train all the way Shit. down to Kerala, which is basically crossing it. Um, but yeah, I was meeting a friend there, and we did um, we did this great motorcycle trip, and and then I went back to came back to start my apprenticeship in the kitchen, and um, and by that time I didn't have any money left, and I had um, you have to at the manoir it was basically you, you're working from seven in the morning till twelve one at night. And you're working as an apprentice. You get paid seven thousand pounds a year, wow. and it's for three years. And you it's can do up to not ten a very days. Big on. hourly wage when no, you break that down. It's not good at all. It's a you know it's sort of twelve thousand US dollars. And um, so we we're living in this village anyway. I bought the wrong size chef's coat and jacket, and you had to walk ironed. Uh, creased chef's coats and you couldn't get dirty but you were doing things like cleaning stock pots and you know the dirtiest jobs you can imagine but you expected not to get any dirt on you you had to look immaculate at all times polish shoes so I spent the first like, year in these things that were so tight for me <laughs> I could hardly move um, <laughs> and much to the uh, Oh, that reminds me of a story you mentioned about uh, uh, the formality the of the whole process and how you just walked up and sat right next at to... At the wrong table, mm. right? Oh, yeah, I had yeah, a lot of fun table. in this place because I had no idea. I mean, this is a grand institution that yeah. I'd somehow managed to sort of talk my way into get to, to being there. And so, 
you know, it was very classical French. All the chefs sat on one table, and the hierarchy: the bigger your hat, the more important you are. And you wear a skull cap if you're at the bottom, and the head chef wears a big tall hat. And um, and the, the maitre d' sits on one table, and they have wine every night. And you know, when there wasn't a space, I would just go and sit with the maitre d' and end up having a glass of wine with him. And to the dismay of everyone, we became great friends. Um, me and the uh, maitre d'. <laughs> <laughs> <That's great. laughs> well, it's interesting because. I find, you know, back to our discussion of luck earlier, uh, this seems to be something that follows you around, and, and I, I think it can't be sort of chalked up to luck. It's, it's, it's something that you've mentioned before about, uh, you, you said to us previously, everything is energy. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain energy that comes from, well, first, not knowing. It, it's, it's, it's great to roll into a place like India not really knowing what you're doing. You know, I've, uh, sometimes it's great to not know, because sometimes you wouldn't do it if you knew too much, yeah. you know, or, or uh, it, it, it stands against you sometimes if you know too much going in. And, and the same thing seemed to serve you well with the fat radish where uh, I think you said uh, uh, it was the worst space in a terrible location, you know. And so this is you in New York after working for Raymond Blanc mm-hmm. and quite a few other... Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay. In, in, in the UK. A few I, other great ventures in between. Right. Um, and then you you would decide to start your own restaurant. Tell tell us a story because you know to say that it's luck is uh, um, doesn't give it full tribute. And I thought it interesting your experience in what you described as the fifty eighth property you went to look at. It's two thousand and nine. Uh, not a lot of investors to look at restaurants. It's not the greatest time to open something. Uh, tell us about that conversation you had with that gentleman. Well, the um, you know the the idea of of you know doing a restaurant in New York is really it's you know I had seen it um, by living there. It it's a magical thing that makes it makes any venture work, whether it be whatever company it is. We never know quite what makes that thing so perfect. With restaurants, I feel it's got a lot to do with the location, but it's also mm-hmm. a perfect storm of of of. I, I don't really know how to describe it, but you just get a feeling. It's magic. And, and so I, I walked in. I've been looking forever with this with this um, broker in New York. Obviously, I'd never even actually looked for an apartment with a broker before. So. <laughs> um, but, you know, lying through my teeth that I had everything sorted out and had funding and all that, I didn't have any of it. And um, anyway, I sort of swaggered into this place in the Lower East Side, and the landlord looked, took look, one look at me. He's now one of my closest friends. And look, just sized me up, and he just said, "What do you want to do here?" And I thought, "Well, no one's asked me that." And I told him, "I said, this is what we're trying to do." And he said, "Well, come upstairs." And he was living in the in the building he developed, and uh, and he said, "No brokers." And then it was eleven mm. o'clock, and he opened a beer, and we sat there, and he asked me very honestly some questions, and he said, "Do you have the money?" I said, "No, but I'll get it." And and he gave us the keys to the space and said, "I'll be back on Monday." do what you want over the weekend, let me know if you want it. And he took a real, um, you know, that was just one of those moments where had I not visited all those places, we had looked at mm. others. But, um, and he told me one thing which was very good, like this is a piece of advice for anyone doing a restaurant in, a, in an up and coming area. If you're not sure who's around there, go and look in the, um, go and look at the dry cleaners and look at the shirts and dresses and stuff that's in the dry cleaner because You'll never see those people because they go to work so early and they come back so late, but they're the people who eat, ah, eat yeah. your restaurant. So mm-hmm. if it's a kind of developing neighborhood, look at that. Bit of research. It's, it's the Fat Radish in, in what went on to be four restaurants, uh, a global catering company, um, 
you know, pop-up restaurants in Rio and Shanghai and Paris. I mean, a remarkably successful commercial uh, venture seems to blend two things that I know of you. One, energy is everything that you said. Mm. This was an idea that was born with your best mate, Phil Wisner, mm-hmm. at the age of 13, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and your two qualities that you most admire, curiosity and humility. Um, and uh, th- that seems to open a lot of doors for you. I'm just wondering where those traits and qualities came from. Well, the, um, you know, being curious, it, is, it goes back to those sort of people that I, I was lucky to sort of, you know, around that table that I kind of described. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're curious people. Um, I, I think it's in a lot of British people, but it's a, a very well-traveled mm. country. Um, we have a very diverse um, kind of makeup of, of uh, as, as a country. So you are always curious. I, I was just exposed to a lot of that. Um um, humility, because you know, I think it can all go. Mm-hmm. Y- you're never on. I don't know. I don't mean you're never on top, but like humility from you know, I was going to do one thing, and I was this kind of star of my school and playing for amazing level at sports. And the next thing I know, I'm in bed, and 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 my life's taken a totally different turn. And I'm I'm out. I'd have no. I didn't finish high school. I um, so. Humility in the sense that, like, you don't really know what's going to happen to you, so just kind of take it all in and and go for go for it, and and and, and people are what make everything. So you really embody those qualities. Um, I, I I love uh, the idea of global manners. Um, mm. Could you share that with the audience? Well, what that means? Yep, global good manners taught to me by by someone very dear to me. Um, it's the ability to speak to anyone anywhere about anything and make them feel good yeah and um you know that's something i think about a lot yeah. it reminds me of another quote you mentioned from cipriani where mm. you talk about uh treating people like kings and kings like people mm-hmm. and and of course you know he started harry's bar in, in in venice and it sounds like that was a philosophy of yours when you're opening these restaurants in new york yeah the um you know, again, you know, the beauty of New York is that, that, that it's filled with everyone under the sun and the Lower East Side was kind of, at that at the time, was, was absolutely epitomized that. And, um, you know, we used to have everyone in the restaurant and, and to be honest, we didn't know really what we were doing, so it would be, uh, and I didn't know who anyone was, so, <laughs> so we'd have, you know, uh, you could have Elton John on the table and someone else there and we'd be more worried about our neighbor upstairs who was, we'd, pissed off with noise for the last three nights so, um and 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 that was kind of just because we were bootstrapping and i think there was there was a certain charm to to come yeah, into right. a place that, that they'd kind of winging it um in our first night we had a we had a mouse that, that came in and went on the sprinklers and our landlord was up there with a broom whacking it and people <laughs> walking out and I just thought, oh my god, this is awful! It's gone I can't terribly believe wrong. it. And and you know, people kind of loved it because it was something like it, it was sort of just a comedy show. But but the food was good, um, so people came back. Right, right. <laughs> they keep coming back. I love yeah. how you said once, you know, because New York, you're surrounded by so many people. Uh, everything's possible, and you described growing up in a house throughout, you know, England that never had only had baths, never had a shower. Mm. And he described England as a bath 
in America as a shower. Yeah. What does that What does that mean? Well, it was just to elaborate on that in 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 England or in, when I go back, you're the most boring man in the room until proven otherwise. And in 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 America, I always feel like I'm the most interesting man in the room until proven otherwise because someone wants to listen to what you got to say, and anyone will listen. And if it's a good idea, let's make something happen. And um, and so that's that quick energy thing that a shower is. And then in the UK, is a lot more layers. It's a bad idea, Ben. You yeah, shouldn't yeah. Do that. How could you do that? Oh no, 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 no. That's <laughs> an awful idea. Oh, it's terrible. It rains down there. Don't do that. Um, so uh, yeah, and I think that's the energy that I love about being here in the US. And you know. well, let's. Uh, we're going to break to another song, uh, and then we're going to come back to a conversation where. You take another radical adventure, leave all of that success behind, and travel south. But what uh, what are we going to listen to, John? Yeah, we've got a song called "The Promise" by Sturgill uh, Simpson, but it's actually a remake of a song. And uh, 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 let's hear it. Yeah. You, friend. Don't look to stranger You know in him I'll always be there But when you're in doubt When you're in danger Take a look all around And I'll be there I'm sorry but I'm just thinking of right words to say I know they don't sound the way planned them to be But if you wait around I'll make you fall for me I promise I promise you I will Your day's through And so is your temper You know what to do And always be there Sometimes if I shout It's not what's intended These words just come I'm sorry, but I'm just thinking the right words to say. I know they don't sound the way I to be. But if you wait around a while, I'll make you fall for me. I promise you, I promise you, I will.
I'm sorry, I'm just thinking of the right words to say. I know they don't sound the way I planned them to be. But if you wait around a while, I will make you fall for me. I promise you, I promise. I'm sorry, but I'm just thinking of the right words to say. Okay, so that was The Promise, uh, which originally was uh, performed by a band, Win in Rome, from the 80s. Uh, and wow, there's some passion in that voice. And, and it makes me think of uh, a quote that, uh, that you mentioned previously uh, from Mickey Smith, surf photographer. Uh, yeah. And he says, I never set out to be anything in particular, only to live creatively and push the scope of my experience through adventure and passion. And so interesting. I mean, just that passion. And that's what made me think of that quote, just the passion in the song and that delivery. Wouldn't it be great to be able to sing like that? Oh, my God. (laughs) Absolutely. That voice of another time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So just before the song, we were talking about New York. Um, You're you're doing really well with these restaurants. And you sort of jumped in naively and and hit a few home runs through a lot of hard work and and effort. uh, And you decide that you want to come south to Charleston and, and uh, somehow you end up deciding to, to ride your bike from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. How did that, how did that develop? What, what happened there? Well, I, I came down here for, for, for work and, mm-hmm. um, and I, I wanted to leave New York because I kind of got everything I went to New York for and uh, I, I always had a, this suitcase that I had and if I said I, if I could fill my suitcase I would be, you know, metaphorically, but I still had uh-huh. the suitcase. I, I was ready to leave, and, and I'd done all the things that I said, and I'd met this beautiful girl. So, um, so yeah, so I wanted to come to, to leave, and I ended up coming down here for, for work. It was the first time I'd ever applied for a job. Um, well, not applied for a job, but it was working with someone. Um, and and now we just weren't aligned. So, um, so I found myself having made this big move and kind of done a U-turn on everything up in New York with kind of a lot, a lot of questions and, and not a lot of answers to well, what was going to be next. Um, so I, 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 a friend of mine had just um, rode across the Atlantic and he was the least sporty guy I've ever met. Um, and he, he entered this competition and he won his class. There was four of them. And I got an email from him saying, oh, I just did this. And, and I thought, well, I've got to do... I, I need something like that to kind of hit the reset button mm. and... Um, Living in New York, I used to ride my bicycle a lot, and I'd always thought, like, how long on like evenings when I don't know, I'd always thought what it'd be like to ride your bike across the country. Just I was keep obs- going. I was obsessed with, and I still am, I'm sort of obsessed with that, you know, the Seth, America, the amount of effort and energy w- went in over a very short period of time to kind of tame this land. Um, so, anyway, that was why I sort of picked that trip. And also, moving from New York, which is kind of a bubble, to Charleston, that really is kind of a, a totally different feeling in the US and then calling somewhere home calling the states home and not really understanding it um, it was kind of one of those it, 
answered a lot of questions if I did it. Curious exploration. Yeah, and just getting yeah. and meeting the people and seeing what it's all like. And you could do it in the car, but it all would look all the same, I think. I'm curious, you know, John and I are fascinated by creative process, and as John, as a working artist, you know, embodies that on a daily basis, I try to. Um, but, you know, if you think about all you've done, uh, I, I think about how that works in the restaurants and things you've done, but I'm interested in how that process worked for you when you were struggling, right? You're down to Charleston, you, you applied for your first job, uh, didn't really go well, now you're here, you know, I would imagine there's some, lots of questions, like you said, mm -hmm. not many answers. How did that creative process get you through that period? Yeah. Well, I, I, as a result of when I was 16 and went in bed, I, I suffered from depression and, and I was, I'm very aware, uh, the beauty of, of, I think not the beauty of having it, but I am acutely aware when I am beginning to slip, um, mm -hmm. and, um, and I need to be very proactive about making those changes because it, otherwise it just sort of spirals so whenever that feeling begins to happen i know i need to kind of double down on doing something right. and and i need to like i need to make sure that i don't let this get a hold of me um so th that's when those things so if something bad happens the reason i end up doing something i think really positive like the bike ride is because i'm no, i'm very conscious that something has it, it, I need to make a big change. You got to put something on the horizon to uh, move towards. Otherwise, we're not going anywhere. Right. And so, that mm. that is that is what I always I always think of when um, when and and that's the kind of up and downs of life. And I'm, I'm a very. It's great to be acutely aware of that, though. What I wisdom mean, and, and 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 to be able to say, all right, I need to move in this direction swiftly because I know from from experience that this could go, dark. this could go bad and dark and yeah and. You know, and, and, and I think, so that, that, that is why these things kind of uh, mm. do happen. Um, and um, anyone who has that knows it's difficult to get out of the funk. <laughs> well, you know, and so part of this ride, though, was, was um, uh, working with a nonprofit, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's proceeds yeah. from this process, and you were writing a column for uh, the New York Times mm -hmm. at the time, chronicling your bike ride. Yeah. And trying to find a sense for... Uh, uh, what's happening to food culture in this country uh, and it felt it felt like when i'm reading this hearkening back to your days when uh this sort of thing was really powerful for you like nutrition and health was something that got you back on your feet and so you were kind of going back to your roots in that way on this bike ride and there's a certain activist slant in you that, that to me feels like it was kick-started in this bike ride um is that an accurate statement? Yeah, I think that is. I, again, I just, just sort of, I never ever, and you guys know this, but something we're doing, I never have the intention of like it, of, of writing for the New York Times or, mm. or, or, or documenting that way. And, and actually it happened like two days before we left. Um, but what I had the intention of is writing for someone or something about, and the, the idea was always to explore food. Mm -hmm. You know, passion and purpose are two things that I think, you know, uh, a, a journey without purpose is a holiday, is what someone... Uh, oh, is, I, like uh, that. I love that. And um, mm. so, so I needed to have a purpose to this. I, I was, I've been, you know, very interested in looking how American food culture has not, in the 10, 11 years I've been here, I don't think has progressed as fast as some other places that um, were behind it in terms of access to healthy food for all, um, just education on simple, I think we've lagged because of big 
big companies. Yeah. So I wanted to go and see about that. And, and I know there's these pockets of like positive places and I want to focus on that and find people who are doing good things and tell their story. And if I could get the New York Times to publish it on their blog, then that would be fantastic. And, yeah, yeah. And so, so yeah, that was, um, that has sparked something. It's great because it reminds me of something we talk about a lot, which is this idea of, of cho- you know, choosing a direction but then not being so rigid as to close the door on other options along the way. Like you yeah. said, I wanted to write something, uh, but you weren't saying specifically this something about like, in this direction mm-hmm. in particular for this place. It was, I want to write something. And, and, and then leaving the door open to somebody coming in and saying, oh, hey, we heard you're going to do this you, and, and you're going to write something about it. And suddenly something happens and there's an energy there and an openness to it that yeah. just allows that magic to creep in, you know? Where I think that magic is kind of present all the time, and some people just close the doors to it. Yeah, I, I agree. So, I mean, at the moment in my life, people ask me, I was very much a chef for a period of my life. Right. And that's, and that's what I did. I, I, I cooked, and that's because I didn't have a choice. I had to, I was paycheck to paycheck, and I cooked, mm-hmm. and, I, and I loved it. Now, um, you know, go back to that quote, the Mickey Smith quote, being a little bit more f- fluid... I, I don't really have just one thing that I mm. am like I am a and and I and that's sometimes can be quite an interesting and it goes back to like you can, will write your own story and fit in but as long as they you're you're comfortable with the things that you're doing and 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 they're right I don't think it has to be that singular and this I is am. something you're learning to be more comfortable with and I'm along the way. yeah and yeah. I definitely it's something that I I am like I'm very conscious of at the moment because we like to say you know, oh, how come you, you know, if I tell someone about the New York Times, how come you're writing for that? Is what, what do you do? Uh, um, <laughs> right. And, and, and I, and I understand that, but, but that's, that was just because that was something interesting and I could make it happen and make it work. And have you noticed that the things that have worked for you and then those things that haven't your relationship with your potential project when, mm-hmm. that brought you to Charleston? Um, it seems like the energy and the deep connection are what create the, the, the open doors, the opportunities. Um, and when you applied for the job and looked for the opportunity, without the energy and the deep connection, it didn't, it didn't yeah, work. I, I think so. I really think that the, uh, the idea of going into something and feeling excited about it and lit up about it and, and, and then, then great things will happen and it'll all go into places you didn't know. And like when, we, when, we're, when we're hiring someone, we've... We've been so fortunate. A lot of the restaurants are still filled with the same people who started their day one, and none of them. I mean, the, a lot of them didn't have the experience, but they just had the uh, they just had you know great energy, and they wanted to be a part of it. And it so goes yes, a long way. Yeah. It does go a long way. Yeah, you can't teach that. Talk about deep ecology. Oh yeah, I love that you brought it up. And how did you end up with 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 this book? It's called Deep Ecology by uh, Bill Duvall and George Sessions. Mm-hmm. And how how recent an addition is that for you? That was um, when um, I read that after I read that that documentary, um, 180 Degrees South. Oh yeah, Ivan Schoenard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I kind of was like, wow, that story is amazing. And then I um, read that book, um, which was which was a big inspiration for for Doug Tompkins and um, and Yvonne. And um, okay. Then I booked two tickets to go to Patagonia oh, and really? went to visit that park. And then I went the f- further down to Torres del Paine. And then I came back and I thought, wow, this is just blowing my mind. And it really yeah. started with that documentary. And um, 
and then and that book and and their park they've got like a I might I think it's a million square it's the largest and they've given it back yeah. to the country and they didn't want they, yeah. they didn't want it back because they thought they didn't trust and they thought it was a uh, right well and wilderness preservation is a big part of this the the deep ecology when it comes to actually the activist idea behind it um, just for those of you listening who don't know anything about this the description is it's an ecological and environmental philosophy that uh, talks about the inherent worth of living beings regardless of their utility to human needs. And it's, for me, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. It's a far less human-centric worldview, which I, 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 I seem to believe has a lot to do with the reason why we're destroying the planet that, that supports us, is this clear separation from you know, us and nature, mm -hmm. you know, us and it, when we are it, you know? Um, which of course makes me think about your friend Robert Swan who is who will be here next month uh, in December and uh, uh, an activist of his own, in his own right and somebody who who seems to be right in line with this idea of deep ecology tell us about Robert Swan yeah he, um, well I mean Rob's coming here for some talks thank you to you too um, he is going to be um, you know his his goal is 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 really I mean, his his single goal is to protect something that he can and has control of, and that's Antarctica, and trying to get us to understand that this is kind of the last untouched place on Earth. Um, he was the first man to walk to the North and South Pole. I've known him since I was about 15. Mm. Um, he's one of those people that, again, that I go back to the Charleston description, who's kind of inspired me. He wrote to me three times a week on the bike trip, encouraging me, oh, yeah. push, push. Um, and so... You know, Rob's Rob's view is that you know, take somewhere to a, a place, let them understand it, and then how what they're doing in a kind of their local environment has just a bigger impact on these on these bigger issues. And um, and so you know, to encourage leaders in your community to get up and create great companies. And he has a, he has a wonderful way of taking for me such an abstract idea of climate change and sea level rise and, and, and bringing it really crystally clear mm. by using that expedition, his, his uh, trips to Antarctica to bring that home. And, it, you know, I relate that back to the book Deep Ecology, uh, and it talks about it shows how to participate in major environmental issues in a positive and creative manner. Because I find that a lot of people approach those issues from a fear and you know, condemnation. There's no, no condemnation. There's nothing we can do. And, yeah. um, that, that's not how he approaches it. Uh, that's not how you approach it. Um, yeah. I mean, I I, th I think that that's. I mean, that's the absolute key, is and and I think that's a lot to do with our everyday as well in life and goals and you know, there's there's always fear surrounding anything that you, you know. There's reasons not to, but there's also reasons to. And I think for whether when, when it comes to you know, I am no voice to speak on on the sort of scale that Rob's talking, but I do know that to have a positive impact on on anything, you need to you need to look at things in a certain way. And 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 Rob, you know, is so excited about the mm. opportunity that has been presented by our stupidity um, um, for people to come in and have an impact on on those and change. So, yeah, I. I think, you know, you have to look at our history and that's normally been the way that we've really achieved our greatest things. Uh, for those listening, uh, Rob Swan has an incredible TED Talk and uh, I know John and I have 
watched it and uh you know brings a tear and sort of makes the hair stand up on your arms and uh, just such yeah. an, a passionate guy uh, really honored to have him in charleston for a couple days in december and uh and he'll know. be a guest on our show here as yeah well. he will yeah we're pretty honored to have yeah. him here too yeah. speaking of an adventure call to adventure radio yeah yeah he's the perfect <laughs> absolutely guest, right? absolutely yeah well and speaking of adventures um uh, quite honestly, I can't wait to see where this next uh, uh, adventure takes you, whatever it may be, because you seem to have an adventure-filled life, and and you're at a place where you seem more, much more comfortable, as far as I can tell, with with being in, in even with a place of not knowing, and and just being open to other things coming into your life, and so it's a great place to be, I think, and 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 to be comfortable in that. So oh, thank uh, you so much. I am, I really am, I'm so excited about. All the things, the possibilities that that, that exist, and yeah. um, and uh, thank you so much for for doing this. Absolutely. Well, we love having you here, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna exit with uh, another uh, American artist. Uh, Amazing. Yeah, John yeah. Denver and Annie's song. Which, which I'm nostalgic as soon as I listened what? to this earlier because this was on my parents didn't play a lot of music when I was growing up but John Denver was definitely one that they played this this song will forever I had not um, I had not heard this song before and um, we had a band a guy who used to play with John Denver who was playing at the top um, of the mountain where we got married and um, it was Cash 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 Cashman and Twerp Anderson were the two musicians and um, they were just walking around with an acoustic cello and a fiddle and at one point he just said um, was, he was with Annie um, who the song was written for at the rodeo the mm. night before which we had been to okay. and he said I was with Annie last night and I knew I was coming up here to play and I thought of this song and I'd never heard it before and then uh, he played this and I wow just, all right, Such well, a special moment. Well, a, what a we'll, great intro. We'll send this song out to Kate then. <laughs> Here we go. Cheers. You fill up my senses Like a night in a forest Like the mountains in springtime like a walk in the rain Like a storm in the desert Like a sleepy blue ocean You fill up my senses Come fill me again Come let me love you let me give my life to you Let me drown in your laughter Let me die in your arms Let me lay down beside you Let me always be with you Come let me love you Come love me again 
my senses Like a night in a forest Like the mountains in springtime Like a walk in the rain Like a storm in the desert Like a sleepy blue ocean you fill up my senses Come fill me again Wow, Annie song by John Denver. I really didn't see that one coming. I didn't see that one coming too because when, when he said that song, I was like, where did that come from? I love the story though, uh, man. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, so I mean, such a great guy, and 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 I, I don't know if it. it I, I hope it translates through the airwaves here, the energy that that guy puts out into the yeah. universe, because it's just really something. It's really fantastic. It's, it's special, uh, and it, it, it's it's so soft. Yeah, humility is. I mean, that curiosity and humility, the traits that he admires in others, he certainly has those in spades. He really himself. does. He embodies them, um, yeah. and I th and I think that he. I think people are attracted to those qualities, and I think yeah. he talks about sort of being lucky, you know. Yeah. But my, my my guess is that uh, the way he carries himself um, just opens up a lot more doors for him. People want to be involved and engaged with right. him, right? Know? And it, it reminds me of this thing that you and I talked about. I was in meditation with the uh, with Sal over the weekend, and he was talking about a quote from Shanti Deva, who's a eighth uh, century Buddhist monk, and he says. May no one who encounters me ever have an insignificant contact. And, you know, when I think about Benji, I think that very thing, because when you're there with him, you know that there's, there's and I don't mean, it, it implies a certain significance, but it's not a lofty goal. Right. This is just really paying attention. And, and, and you mentioned how, how, how well he does that. Well, I've, I've spent a lot of time with him working on this Rob Swan project and just yeah. watching him interact. And, you know, he's present uh, everywhere he's at, em emotionally, mentally, or at least that's that's been my experience, and it's just such a wonderful yeah. thing have to have small conversations with any number of people where you're really curious about what they're doing. Yeah, you know, and yeah. taking the time to ask them and 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 listening. Right. You know. Right. Uh, hey, it, it of course uh, makes me think of uh, our good friend uh, Stuart Stuart Young, right. another fellow Brit. Yeah who has a very similar quality of being able to be so disarming, yeah. makes people feel comfortable right away. And, and, and it's, uh, it's something that, that seems to come naturally. You don't seem to have to work at it. So I, I can't categorize that as a British trait, but right. quite a few of the Brits I know have that quality. <laughs> you know, another thing I thought about is, um, you know, uh, energy, and we talked about it a little bit, but, but energy and deep connections, mm -hmm. Um, seem to be the, the the prime ingredients for really opening up the doors that have uh, that have borne a lot of fruit in, right, in his yeah. life. You know, yeah. If there's not the energy, and if there's not the deep connection, and uh, let's not forget uh, a certain level of tenacity. Yeah, and you well, mentioned you know fifty eight restaurant, yeah. fifty eight buildings looked at before coming to the conclusion that this would be the right one. And right. by the way, the right one would be the one that most people he knew would say, hell no, don't right. go there. Right. And it turned out to be you know, I think if you took right all fit. of the, his adventures, you know, from 
I think everybody's probably told him no. Yeah, the wrong side of India. <laughs> right. The wrong side of India. You know, his his experience with food after getting so sick. Right. Um, leaving New York. Leaving New York. Uh, you know, a lots of. Uh, you know, I I think that to to those listening, um, I think just trusting your instincts and your intuition. You know, despite maybe people telling you that might not make sense, uh, and being if, okay with a little bit of discomfort in that process. Right. Well, it's part of the process. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and as he said, and you know, he was defined as a chef, and we all probably have that. Mm, yeah. You know that that wardrobe that we sort of are defined as it's the Alex suit, the John suit, right, the, the, right? This is who we are. But, but to be, uh, uh, to be willing and interested in sort of breaking out of that suit and, and not being defined by one thing, but by lots of things, you know? Um, and that seems to be the place where he's at. Right. Yeah. You don't know what road it's going to take. Yeah, I'm excited to see. I know it'll be creative. I know yeah. it'll be interesting and I know I'd enjoy traveling Glad he's in Charleston and we're along for the ride. So we'll see what happens. Great conversation. Um, To our listeners, thanks for uh, spending another hour of your time with us. We're uh, really excited to have him and uh, and really excited to have Robert Swan. Robert Swan is uh, one of the world's great explorers, a true adventurer, the first man to ever walk to the North and South Pole. Who's just incredibly passionate about doing something about climate change as yeah. well so it's just such a great you know activist environmentalist good combination absolutely um and uh, thanks to ohm radio 96.3 uh, org if you want to find uh, more online of course you can always find call to adventure previous issues previous episodes uh, at soundcloud just search call to adventure or on itunes for podcasts All right Thanks to uh, Thomas Kenny, the man behind the scenes making it all happen. He's, by uh, the time this airs, he will be where? In, uh, in Marrakesh. Marrakesh. Looking forward to having a conversation with him when he gets back. Enjoy the trip. Enjoy the adventure. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Call to adventure. Cheers. Cheers. And remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com.